back to In Our 1990s, a podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s one by one, or two per week, however you choose to uh, think about it. I'm your host, Natalie, and with me as always is my co-host, Adrian. How are you doing, Adrian? Hello, hello. I'm I'm okay. And this week, um, the audio is probably going to sound fucked up. Um, got a new audio interface, and I have not figured out how to get it to work right yet. But the show must go on. So if my voice sounds a little chorusy, it's because I'm being loud and getting picked up by both mics. Um, and if it doesn't, great. Everything has... I've found a way to make everything work. <laughs> Huzzah! Alright, well, we'll keep it short this week. Um, oh, wow. I got new glasses this week. And it's... Uh, I don't have to... I, I'm used to, like, because I'm super far-sighted when I look at my notes, I have to have my phone out, like, three feet from my face. Except now I have glasses that actually work, so now I have to hold hold it close to my face, and that's going <laughs> to take some getting used to. So, um, we're going to start off this week with an album from 1990. It is technically the third album by Jane's Addiction, Ritual De Lo Habitual. However, it's their uh, second studio album. So, they put out their first album in 19, yeah, 1987, I believe, which was a live album. And uh, then they went on to Nothing Shocking, which was their first studio album, and then Ritual De Lo Habitual, the one that you've actually heard songs off of if you're not a hardcore Jane's Addiction fan. So I was um, interested in cutting out the sound of me taking those headphones off. I was interested in what might alternative music in the 90s have looked like had grunge not been a thing. Had it, had it not ever broken out, what might have broken out instead? And I realize that's wildly hypothetical, but the first thing that came to my mind was funk rock. Because what else was popular in the 90s that wasn't grunge? The Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is true. And what else is funk rock? Jane's Addiction. Although that's very reductive, but... Yeah, a bit reductive, but I don't think it's entirely off base. Oh, no. I mean, they admit that funk is an influence, but it's this is their funkiest album. Um, so Jane's Addiction came out of the L.A. like hard rock scene, which I think is very obvious when you listen to them. Not so much on this album, but nothing shocking is a straight up L.A. hard rock album. Oh, I mean, sure. it's not hair metal, but it's... It's like how we have how we talked about with like the Sisters of Mercy, how like when goth almost becomes hair metal, it's like that. Yeah. Not not as gothy because Perry Farrell is not that gothy, but like most of the goth influence in Jane's Addiction came from the uh, guitarist Dave Navarro, who if you've seen him, you'd understand that. <laughs> yep. Um but yeah, it's nothing shocking is a much more, it's much darker and much more of just a straight up rock record than, than Ritual is. Ritual has way more funk influence and way more prog rock influence in its second half because goddamn, this is the most front loaded album we have ever done. <laughs> well, it's because the last half of this album is kind of a tribute to just a lot of death. A lot of dead women that Perry Farrell knew, yeah. But the the front half is. I mean, just one hit after another. Mm -hmm. Just in, it, I mean, it's it's the most front-loaded album, and it's one of the strongest. I think one of the strongest albums that we've done. And if it kept that through the second half, it would be an easy top ten for me. But it also has the second half of the album, which is like 
what three 10 minute songs basically oh there's there's one almost 11 minute song the rest of them are like seven and eight yeah and none of them are themes that i like very much there's one that i really like which one is that i am pulling it up now so i can tell you oh i bet it's um the klezmer one isn't it no why would you say that why would it be the klezmer one Yes, because the others sound like Pink Floyd. Of course, of <laughs> course, is the song that I like. In fact, this was the this was one of the albums I had rotating on my iPod Shuffle in the early two thousands. I mean, Ben Ben caught stealing. Everyone's heard that song. If you even if you don't even know what that song is, you've heard that song. Yeah, and that that was that that's really the song that stands out. And it was one of two. I think that was that and. Was it No One's Leaving that also went platinum? Oh, did it? Well, Ben Caught Stealing definitely did went platinum. Yeah, Ben Caught Stealing was a huge But huge there were hit. two there were two platinum singles from this album. It probably wasn't Ain't No Right, because that one has a lot of motherfuckers in it. Um Yeah, I would guess it was Stop or or No One's yeah. Leaving. I don't know which one because the only one of these songs I ever heard on the radio as a kid was Ben Caught Stealing. Mm-hmm. And, like, you heard that constantly. That was, like, a mega, mega hit. A modern rock mega hit. Which is really odd. I mean, well, not so odd, so... No, I mean, it's hooky as hell. <laughs> well, no, so Jane's Addiction, like, broke up, like, almost immediately after uh, this album. Yeah, basically on the tour for this album. Yeah, this album, this album came out, and they were like, we're done! Which makes sense, because there was a lot of infighting when how the back half of this album was constructed, including that the primary bassist was told to play bass on a song that he didn't want to play bass on, and he threw a fit and left. Yeah, it wasn't that so much as it was more of a Smashing Pumpkins thing. Like, he got sick of Perry Farrell being like, this is what you're going to play on this song. Mm -hmm. And he was like, fuck you, I'm not going to play this Klezmer song. And so, Ronnie Champagne, I don't know if that's a no relation or not, their recording engineer, um, (laughs) played bass on, of course. Yeah, and and the the original bassist actually later said that he regretted not playing yeah. bass on that song because it is actually a standout song. It is quite good. It is not a song that you would associate with Jane's Addiction, but I think it is a well composed piece, albeit repetitive. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's definitely my favorite. Also of the of the second half of the album, the the long songs. Um, I don't think the lyrics are fantastic no but but. it's i think they were trying to strike a mood it was a soundscape piece which there's a lot of argument we don't make that argument enough on this show i think for soundscapes and i think that one was definitely trying to invoke something tonally that wasn't going to ever be followed through by perry's lyrics yeah i mean i don't think all his lyrics are bad i think this the first half of the album is good but uh, then you get to three days, and let's just talk about three days. Oh my god, that took three days to listen to. So three days is about Perry Farrell, and let me get the names right. His uh, his partner at the time was... Leona. Uh, no, his partner at the time was... Casey Nicoli. And then his ex-girlfriend, Ziola Blue who died of a heroin overdose at the age of 19 because she was 14 when she was dating Perry Farrell, who was not under 18. Um, I, I cut a lot of the stuff I said about Moby. I'm not cutting that because that's verified fact. <laughs> um, um, but So, yeah, so 
she came to town for someone's funeral and they basically had a three-way that lasted three days and a line in the song three days is erotic jesus lays with his marys um if there's a thing you should never call yourself i would say perhaps number one on that list is erotic jesus yeah, because that that the implication in that one there, his Marys, it's like Mary Magdalene. No, no big deal. That that makes sense. There, there's there's some grounds there. The other Mary stares pensively into the distance. Would not have been Mary Magdalene. <laughs> so, uh, what? Well, there's a lot of like Jesus fanfic where maybe that happened. That's I. I am a proud Satanist for a reason, <laughs> because I can't with that. I just cannot. But musically, Three Days is kind of like, I, I, I put down Joy Division meets Led Zeppelin. Mm. I think that's a pretty apt description of like the musicality. And Jane's Addiction themselves say that Led Zeppelin is like a major influence on the second half of the album. Oh yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely some, some Zeppelin there. I, I, I took, I took some umbrage at the, the prog rock demarcation that some people attribute to that last half of the album. Uh, I mean, it's technically there, but it's the same anger that I get when people describe Roxy music as prog rock. Um, prog rock is not all people using elongated structure. Uh, and I feel that is always what's applied. It's like, oh, this person made a song that's whimsical and long. It must be progressive. Well, I think that having like the Klezmer influence in there is also like pretty prog rock, though. Yeah. Like, that, that experimentation with stuff that's not just rock music. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. I have this connotation with prog rock as just being like men with skullets arguing about <laughs> bassists. And I just, look, I, I have opinions. I think that's. Perhaps a harsh opinion of uh, of what prog rock is or could be. Um, is it going to be someone who's going to maybe listen to fucking Pink Floyd? Because I I cannot. I mean, I I feel like Pink Floyd is on the fringe of prog rock. Like when I think prog rock, I think like Emerson Lake and Palmer or King Crimson. I don't. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I don't think I, I think a lot more of like a guy surrounded by like four banks of synthesizers that he has to like be lowered into yeah i mean and to to be fair in the application i don't have as much of a hard stance on prog rock i just get annoyed when everything gets called prog rock because no one knows what else to call it yeah i mean i think it's i i, I don't think this is pure prog rock but i think it is influenced by prog rock this is where i will um, again say roxy music is not prog rock i will fucking fight you on the moon uh, yeah i mean i totally disagree with roxy music being prog rock but oh i Mm, I've said it before on the show, but mm. <laughs> yeah. So the second half of the album is much more. It, I mean, it's their jazz odyssey. You know, it yeah. it goes on forever. The songs, with the exception of, of course, all kind of blend together. Like they're they're all long and ponderous and about dead women. Um, there's also a, a second song about about Ziola, um, which is really more. So Perry Farrell's mother committed suicide. And um, when he was four years old, yeah, and then she did as a song about that, but also sort of like 
oh Zyola, you would have loved my mother so much. I wish you could have met her. I want to fuck my mother. <laughs> yes. I'm I'm being I'm being facetious there, but like it is kind of weird when you tell your 14 year old girlfriend how much she reminds you of your mother. Ooh, he was four years old. You don't remember that much when you're four. And then the last song on the album is The Worst by A Million Billion oh, Miles. Oh, fuck yeah, it's Classic the worst. Girl is so bad. It has the worst lyrics. It's so insanely sexist. It's literally about how it's a woman's job to support their man when he steals all their ideas and claims them as his own. And that's what a classic girl does. Yeah, there there are many... I mean, almost infinite number of books and films about that subject going wrong. Yeah, and this is not satirical. Like, he meant this. Like, I read an interview where he talked about... Where he actually said, like, he, you know... I'm tired of all these tattooed, strong women. I want a woman who is gonna be like this. He, like, he actually said, I think this is incredibly romantic, and I wanted people to walk down the aisle to it when I was writing it. I hope the fuck no one has, and if you have, don't write into the show. I don't want to know you exist. Yeah. Oh, no. I, ooh, ooh. Man, you're making me really regret really loving Ben Cot stealing. <laughs> Because I, I played that song all the time. Well, so let's talk about the good part of the album. Then. Yeah, we started fuck. with the bad, Ugh. which is the entire second half, uh, minus, of course. So the album starts with Stop, which is, God, I love Stop so much. Stop is great. It's just such a fucking banger of a riff to open an album with. Just, I, like, I learned how to play that. It's one of the few things I learned to play when I was a teenager that I can still play because I love it so much. Um, yeah, it just, you know, it starts off with, with just the guitar, and then he Perry Farrell sings Here We Go, and everything just blows up and gets way louder, and this it's this fast... I mean, the riff is like a chord progression, but it's just played really fast. And it, it's the song... So it's the song's about basically the impending death of the human race by overpopulation, <laughs> and which is much cooler than... About how your woman needs to stand by her man when he passes all her ideas off as his own. Yeah. And uh, then it goes into No One's Leaving, which is also, it's another true story. That Perry Farrell's sister did get kicked out of the house when she was 15 and sort of got taken in by a black community. And, uh, which is kind of weird because he talks about his family in this really ideal idyllic way of like, or idealized, I, I think is actually what I mean there. Um, where he talks about how, you know, his mother was an artist and just it, their life was this, like, nomadic adventure. But then his sister got kicked out. And, is, and his mother wasn't really around for much of that. And they make it sound like she was kicked out because she liked black people. Is, it, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it was his older sister, but... Yeah, no, that's not cool. No. I always knew there was something... Ever ever listen to a band and go, I shouldn't look into this because I'm going to regret everything that I ever liked about this band? So Perry Farrell sucks. Like, that's like, that's a thing that we, we should throw out there. <laughs> and he even said, like, Jane's Addiction broke up because I suck so much. I mean, he said, like, I'm an, I'm an insufferable narcissist. That's why I can't keep a band together. So, so unlike an insufferable narcissist to tell you that they're an insufferable narcissist. 
I mean, I, it seems to be 100% true based on a lot of his lyrics. And it's kind of, I mean, No One's Leaving is like progressive for the time, but also it's like, this is another thing. I don't remember what song it was. We talked about how it would be culture. Oh, Moby. We were talking about how this would be problematic for being cultural appropriation. But he's, you know, there's the line in No One's Leaving, Blacks Call Each Other, Brother and Sis, Count Me In Because I've Been Missed. Like, mm. it's not really how it works. No. White, white kid. Uh, I can't be cool because I'm not oppressed enough is all that ever sounds like. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just really super not getting it. But also, I mean, I think it's a song that's it's hard is in the right place, but it's also like you super don't get <laughs> this. Yeah. Like being a misfit kid is, is not the same as having a, you know, centuries long history of oppression against you in a country. Oh, God. Yeah. No. But the, all that said, that song's fucking fantastic musically. Oh yeah, like, and, such a strong baseline. And that's and that's the, the the pro for Jane's addiction. Like when they were on point with how they sounded, like it slapped because it was. It's maybe not like exactly what you want to listen to, but it hits in a way where you go, "Yeah, this this is beats good. This everything about this sounds cool. Yeah, I like this." And that's really how my like appraisal of Jane's addiction started because I was like, "Oh." This is not really like any music I listen to, but I like these songs. And then this song's really weird, of course, was the one that was really weird. But yeah, it it was just, it came out of nowhere for me because I was listening to them in the late 90s to the mid to early, early to mid 2000s. And like, it's, it was just an anomaly in my playlists because you know what I listen to. And it's just, I don't know. I... I, I, I stand for the things that work. And if he had been less of a narcissist, maybe maybe this band would have gone on to do more things. Like imagine a band that hits so hard with these first six songs. First five songs, anyway. Yeah. And Mine is obvious, which is the only song on the first side that I think is like kind of mediocre. Yeah, but like the, the but those opening songs are so strong and they could do it consistently. For those songs proved that they could do it again they could make that kind of sound happen again and it just this is definitely a downfall of a band because of infighting and toxic personalities yeah and so um i, I mean i want to shout out ain't no right because again i mean that song is just like thunderous and and he said that perry farrell said that one's more about like he has this theory that that we should strive for balance but the balance that he strives for is to like basically push yourself to the brink of death with like drugs and partying and then not die and somehow that is achieving balance i looked it up so been caught stealing and stop were the ones that went double platinum okay yeah that that's what i would have would, would have guessed um all right so we're gonna skip over obvious because it's kind of boring it's it's pretty gothy but it's kind of boring goth. yeah it's just not it's just not it doesn't it doesn't do any of the goth stuff right enough for me to care yeah well i think that like dave navarro brought that influence and then it kind of got filtered through everything else the band was doing i can't think about dave navarro now without ever hear without having to say you don't have what it takes to be ink master <laughs> because he's one of the hosts of ink yeah. master and there was a Sorry, aside on this podcast, there was an episode in like season two where they're uh, 
painting his guitars. He had, so he uh, iconically performs with a white guitar. And he was like, I want some like cool art for my white guitars. And the, the one person just painted his entire guitar black. He was like, if I wanted a black guitar, I would play a black guitar. And that's all I can think about. It's like, you don't have what, what it takes to be Ink Master. <laughs> and just that person, he was visibly trying not to be pissed as fuck, but he looked <laughs> pissed as fuck. <laughs> I like um. Dave Navarro. <laughs> So I mean he's he's definitely the the best part of he's of he's James got addiction. <laughs> he's he's got little uh bat tattoos on his uh collarbones and they're very cute and so yeah so Ben caught stealing I mean we kind of talked about it but like it iconically starts off with a dog barking which was one of their dogs I don't remember who was I think it was Perry's they took the, the apparently they were recording and the dog wouldn't stop barking so they took the dog into a, a recording booth and recorded it barking and then put it at the beginning of the song and it is kind of known as the dog barking song which is really funny because it is just a thing that comes in at the very beginning and never again but like so you're saying that we should bring our dog into a recording studio to record our music our dog is on every every episode at the beginning when he barks when i start talking but yeah so been caught stealing is again it's like not like it fits in this album but it's kind of a very not jane's addiction song musically mm. like it's really hooky and catchy and poppy which nothing else they ever did is really could really be described that way yeah that's fair um and so, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that, like, it, it's an MTV hit. Like, MTV played the video a ton, and so it became a, a crossover hit because it got played so much on MTV. Um, and again, true story, according to Perry Farrell, he, he even once he was famous, he shoplifted constantly for no reason. Um, so, I mean, you've heard Ben Cross Dealing. It's, it's actually a song that I'm, like got super burnt out on like listening to it listening to this album i kind of got back into it again but man was i sick of that song in the 90s oh that that's fair and like that's a that's a reasonable response to it i just think that it it has some lasting appeal and it got uh you know optioned off for movie soundtracks constantly yeah commercials and movie soundtracks yeah so it's it does use a recording technique that doesn't happen often um that it's on the guitar it Dave Navarro was like, he wanted to both have the certain like overdrive sound, but also have a lot of definition in the chords he was playing. So what they did was actually record his um, distorted overdriven guitar a couple of times. And then over the top of it, they recorded him just playing his electric guitar unplugged. Like just put a mic up to the strings so that if it's in like the left channel in the recording, the sort of jingly guitar that kind of sounds acoustic is actually just his electric guitar unplugged. That's really cool. Which is kind of kind of a cool technique that you don't really hear a ton in records. But yeah, so that was how they achieved like both the distortion he wanted and also being able to like clearly enunciate the specific notes he was playing. So yeah, I mean this is a really influential album. Like every rock band in the nineties loves the fuck out of this album. And out of nothing shocking before it. Um, I mean, Smashing Pumpkins obviously were huge, huge fans of this. Like, if if you can't listen to Gish, their first album, and not hear 
what huge Jane's Addiction, Jane's Addiction fans they were. Oh, for sure. Um, they just did I mean, it better. I mean, I I like their version of it much better. But. No, no, I I'm, I'm I think that's I think that's something we can like say definitively is that like the Dave Navarro aside there, like I think Smashing Pumpkins did it better because they were more cohesive and even though Billy Corgan also has a bit of that like this is what we're gonna do mentality, I think he did it to a better effect. Yeah, yeah. So. We still haven't done a Pumpkins album on this show. No, I've been kind of waiting. Okay, so let me throw out. Unless there is there anything else you wanted to say about this? No, just that just that it was one of those albums that like struck me by surprise that I liked it so much, and I was shocked that you thought I wouldn't like it this time. I it's because I thought I heard you say at some point that you like hated Jane's Addiction. No. Yeah, I don't know. What I think I was it was Alice in Chains I was talking about because yeah, I really so. hate Alice in Chains. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I would rank this one because I love the first half of this album so much, and I always have. Like, I some somewhere in that closet behind you, I have a mixtape I made in the '90s that has the entire first half of this album on it. Um, also, a fun fun aside before we rank this, uh, on the tape the tape cassette version of this album, there was a 10-minute blank of silence because the last half of the album was 10 minutes longer. Yeah. That seems fucking weird. Don't buy, don't buy audio cassettes. There's a whole <laughs> thing right now where people are trying to make cassettes happen again. Don't make cassettes happen again. Buy a fucking MP3. Buy a CD. Buy vinyl. Don't make fucking cassettes happen again. Rant ended. <laughs> so I so yes, I love the first half of I mean the first half of this, half of this album. I don't think anybody dislikes it. Mm-mm. The second half sucks all that life out of it for me. And and I know that's harsh. I know there are people who think three days is like a masterpiece. I don't. I, I think it's so boring and pretentious. And the only good thing on on side two of this is is of course, um. For me, I would put this at 26. It'd be between the Toadies, Rubberneck, and the Laws. Above the Laws, below Rubberneck. Yeah, I think that's fair. It it shouldn't go above Rubberneck. That That's pretty much my firm stance on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the first half is so strong that it pushes it way up. Oh, yeah, and no. And then the, the, the second f- half is just a great equalizer on oh, the yeah, first so half. If this whole album was like that first half, it would be above Rubberneck. Yeah. Rubberneck is so consistent all the way through. Yeah. No, it's right below it. But they're very consistent in that, but they're very, like, in that same time and space. It's like, when I heard both of these albums for the first time, it was around the same time. Yeah, and, like, Oasis, is, or What's the Story, Morning Glory is right above Rubberneck, and, I mean, it's, like, way more pretentious than this album, or unearned pretentiousness, I guess, but also, like, it's good songwriting from mm. beginning to end whereas again you have a the prod the the jazz odyssey on the second <laughs> half of this album it's just like i just can't with it because i mean the first time i put this on in preparation for this episode i was like god damn this is gonna be like top five and then then three days hit and i was like oh okay this is why it's not like considered the best album of the 90s yep. <laughs> um so yeah, all right. Well, yeah, let's do twenty six then. I think that's that's a good place for the only James Addiction album we. Get. I think it's the only one. Did they yeah, they they came back in like the two thousand. Yeah, I was gonna say I knew they reunited and put out something new, but it, I didn't think it was in the nineties. So, 
All right, so this ritual de lo habitual will go at number 26, and then we will come back and talk about the tiger lilies. We are back with our second album this week. It is from 1994. It's the first album by this band. Births, Marriages, and Deaths by Tiger Lilies. And this one is... You're going to have to really carry this one, Adrian. <laughs> I feel really bad because I inhabit a space where I can, I can take on a lot of really dark, depressing material and not have it really affect me very much. The same cannot be said for Natalie. And that's not a that's not me like besmirching your sensitivities or anything. I understand that I'm a fucked up person. Well, so let me just say this up front. Like, why I love music so much is it has a bigger emotional impact on me than any other medium. Music has I mean, ever since I was a child, I feel the highs and lows of music really acutely. And it's probably something to do with being autistic, but like because I'm also like very stressed out by certain sounds and uh so the the other side of that coin is that when when music is good it hits me in a such a euphoric way but when it's really depressing it i feel every bit of that so anyway that said carry on so the tiger the tiger lilies are a three-piece band and the most consistent member throughout all of this and you'll find this uh, uh this consistency throughout a lot of my music interests is martin jocks he's the guy who founded the band in fact the the two other members of the tiger lilies now took over for the original members uh besides brian uh sorry martin brian jocks is a fantasy author from england uh martin's also from england but not a fantasy author uh he's more of a grum a glum bastard so there's an apocryphal tale that martin jocks got learned to sing in a falsetto or the castrato voice that he uses on these songs uh while living above a brothel that story has since been like removed from the internet as far as i can find but it was very early wikipedia when i first read it and i was I didn't go into the editing history of their Wikipedia pages, but all of their album pages have been taken down. So I have, and I was struggling to find more info about births, marriages, and deaths. And I probably could have found it, but it don't. You don't really need it. What you need to know is that like this whole band was created because Martin had an idea. He was a theology and philosophy student who dropped out, being probably reasonably disillusioned with the world which is where a lot of his perspective comes from he was living in low income a low income side of town took on a lot of, of intense interest in the seedy underbelly of existence which has has been a common theme throughout his music for the rest of his life and i dig it i dig it because i think he was on that same like uh fin de cycle like end of the century bullshit that a lot of people at the time were on and he was like the 20th century's ending everything is shit i'm gonna talk about how shit it is i'm gonna be as 
glib as I can about how shit things are, but I need to just do it. So he chose an accordion, a bass, and some drums to make that his sound. And the original, the other two original members of Tiger Lilies joined via a newspaper ad asking for band members. And Zinya Red said they were the only two people who responded. They were the only two people who responded because he's a bit much. But I really enjoy his artistic vision because he is he very much embodies a very seedy aspect of like uh, like Charles Baudelaire esque like this is what decadence is this is the the other side of it it's it's very naturalism and decadence coming into this like you see the grimness of existence you you you, you zoom in on the horrifying. And sometimes you find humor in it. And that's really what this album is. And sometimes, but not very often. Well, so this album in particular is a little bit more glum. Now that I went back and listened to it more, which is why I'm apologizing that we started with this one. Uh, I remember the songs that I like the most, which is like Heroin and Cocaine and War and Hell and things like that. But then there are like 20 fucking tracks. And yeah, way too many songs. Way too long. Are you trying to get the feeling that he didn't think there would be a second album? He didn't. And but, that, but their albums progressively got smaller. And they also did things like the Three Penny Opera, where they did an entire touring opera uh, with these songs. Which, I'm surely there are some Tiger Lily songs you actually like. Yeah. And... I apologize that they're not on this album. <laughs> no, I don't like any. There's not a single song in this album that I like. There's one I almost liked, but I'll, we'll get to it. But yeah, um, so this is a very, very hard to process album. It's very grim. It's very, I mean, it starts with a very horrifying story of a boatman pulling bodies out of a river and just goes from there. My favorite songs in the album are Hell, which... Uh, I actually first heard the Tiger Lilies because of the movie Plunkett and McLean. And a few of their songs from this album and I believe their second album were used on that soundtrack. Because when uh, the main character McLean goes to prison for grave robbing, he, uh, the song Hell is playing when he's like sentenced and walking into prison. And that just like struck me in this like, like adolescent Hadrian going, oh, that fucking rocks. And I still think Hell Rocks. It's a good song. Uh, but I now know that my penchant for just really oppressively dark imagery is not everyone's taste. And I apologize. And it's... And if you listen to this album, I apologize to you as well. Because it is very grim. It's very fucked up. And... He makes no apologies for offending people. And in fact, Martin Jacques is incredibly glib about people leaving his shows in disgust. He's like, he finds it funny because like, I'm a performer. I'm here to perform and people find that offensive. And that's, 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 a, little, that's a little better than someone like just using the N-word to be provocative. I, I get his aesthetic here because he's just trying to magnify... This utter just disgust inside of humanity, and it's 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 in everything in his countenance. It's in everything that they do, how they perform. And this album was very much like, we're probably not going to get another one. We're going to get all these sh these songs we toured with since '89. So the band formed in '89. This album came out in 1990. So these were very quick. I get it. Yeah, 
It said 94 on everything I looked up. Oh, I thought it was 1990. It was 1994. Okay. All right, so they... But yeah, so from 1989 to 1994, this is like all of that like touring music, very small, like... It, it's the kind of music that you accidentally sign to a pub and then you go, oh, fuck. So people are already being miserable and drinking and then the Tiger Lilies are out there just being like... Heroin, heroin, and cocaine. Like it just, it just happens. And but again, Natalie, I apologize. So okay, so here's the thing. I think that the movie Martyrs is a good movie, the French version, not the American one, which I haven't seen, but I've heard it's shit. It is a movie that just wallows in utter misery and degradation and the worst of humanity. But I feel like it ultimately is saying something and like whether or not you think what it has to say is at all interesting it does it's using that degradation and horror and torture to make a point i don't feel like there is any point on this album mm -hmm. it, like i read all the lyrics and it's just like here's a song about a prostitute who's addicted to drugs and wasting away. Here's a song about a prostitute that's addicted to drugs and wasting away. Like how many songs on this album are just a description of a heroin addicted prostitute, like slowly dying, like almost all of them. <laughs> and, and I think in, in, in the, the time period that he's talking about this, there's not a lot of attention being paid to this, this audience. So I think he was trying to, horrify very intently trying to horrify but like i think that that was his 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 way of talking about it was just like you're not paying attention to these things who, that are actually happening yeah I, I, okay but like again that's not art that's journalism it, like i want art to actually like try to make a point about the thing other than world's fucked up man like i don't think that's an interesting point i think if you're an adult you know the world's fucked up and so if you're going to just wallow in the absolute dregs of humanity like it you better be saying something and just this album does not say anything in my opinion it's just like to me it is just saying the n-word over and over it's i mean it's it, it's just doing it in a way that like liberals are okay with so my my rebuttal to that is the song of hell uh it's just like you're going to going because of your so-called sin you're going to hell like that that's a that song is very poignant because it's like he he's they're gonna tell you limb from limb because of your so-called sin. Yeah, but and, that's one song. But then you also have the song War, which is actually one of my absolute favorite Tiger Lily songs, which is talking about, which is this like very, uh, very World War II vibey, just like pub song. And then they're going to run you through, uh, you just like, let me get pull up the lyrics to War because it's, I think it has more to say. Uh, strike some medals and don't make a fuss. Forget about the two of us. We're off to war. Doesn't matter if you agree. You're here to kill. You see, we're off to war. So it's a very about it's about that very dehumanizing aspect of what it is to be a soldier and being going off to war and these kinds of uh like com like the war effort nostalgia, which was very rife in the early nineties. 
like because of the Gulf War, and it was it was it, this 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 mentality was being uh, re- recalled in the kind of like grotesque nationality displays that were happening with people who were going off into into the Gulf War, and has continued to be a problem since. And I think that song is trying to speak to that. And I think, and I will agree that I think that Martin wasn't doing this correctly yet. But this album stands as a testament to where they started and where they go by the time, uh, what is the, what is the album with the inflatable doll called? Bad Blood and Blasphemy, uh, which has a few of my other favorite songs. But anyway, I think this was laying the groundwork for where their, their style would mature. And I think Hell, Heroin and Cocaine, and War, in this very bloated album, stand out as what they were going to become. Yeah, so if the only song whose lyrics I thought had anything good to them on this one is Tears, mm. which is like... Basically, it's it's about a skinhead watching skinhead ideas die, which, boy, I wish that would have kept on. Um, but yeah, the singer is obviously, like, happy about it. Like, it sounds sentimental in a way, but, like, one of the lines is, you wore your union jack as you knifed me in the back while I could feel your fears. Yes, nothing matches tears. Like, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a good, like, it's a good fuck you of, like, your whole life is based on misery and hey, congratulations you got it and that's like that puts i still don't like the song but lyrically that puts the thematic idea of just everything is horrible to good use i think that um down and out is like musically really pretty and i wish that they did a lot more of that instead of just which is what most Tiger Lily songs sound like to me. Well, with they... a person screaming in falsetto about drug addicted prostitutes dying over the top of it. It, it, it. They they go they get more musically complex in in, in recent years. So I want I want to say shout out to Martin. Uh, his birthday is actually March. Uh, yeah, it was actually I think May twenty second. Yes, May 22nd. He is now uh, 62 years old. And, you know, you you have a lot of you have a lot of growth in that time period. Uh but yeah, it's I I get where you're coming from. I I I don't agree because I think there are standout lyrics in many of these songs and there is a there is something beyond just object grimness, but this album is tonally abject grimness. Yeah, I wish there were actually songs about births and marriages on it. That like it's called births, marriages, and deaths, and every song is just about prostitutes dying. Like it, it's there's no births or marriages. Like if if they had actually done this, I mean, what the title suggests is this kind of like the full scope of life, but it's not. It's just everything is miserable. Everything is miserable everyone slowly dying and it's and it's miserable like i I don't know it just i i i really kind of hate this album like i like more than i thought i would honestly well we can just (laughs) because i think there are other tiger lilies there's other tiger lily stuff where there is like you know we talked i mean i mentioned it last week but like the song um piss on your grave is like it has some of that but it's also hilarious 
and is and is like musically textured in a way that nothing on this album is. Um, and they did the the Edward Gorey album with Chronos Quartet, mm-hmm. and they uh, you know they did the was it Three Penny Opera that's about that that has like bully boys on it mm-hmm. where they're they are trying to do stuff that's interesting, but this album just seems like a shock jock shock jock bit that goes on way too long. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna give a a a, a quick pre- like preview of why the Tiger Lilies are worth keeping up with, even if you absolutely hated this as much as Natalie did. Uh, on uh, Bad Blood and Blasphemy, I would like to start a fashion trend amongst the young people. The world might end. Wouldn't be fun to ring the funeral bell. Our civilization, watch it burn in hell. Like, I don't know, I find... Yeah, I mean, that's, like, at least trying to be more poetic about it than just... And then she died! Which is, like, every song on this album. In fact, that song was... Start a fire, start a fire, start a fire today! Fire! (laughs) And also, like, I just cannot listen to Forced Falsetto for an hour and a half, either. Like, especially not when it's... I mean, he's just doing the, like... Monty Python, like, old housewife voice. And he actually does have a really great range, and it doesn't show off all the time, because he's definitely trying to be caustic. And, like, this is caustic. This is this is transgressive music. Like, it's... it's it, Like, yeah, I guess I just, like, I have higher standards for transgressive than just we're going to talk about women dying. And it's it's more that it's just, like, Women are abused and die. Women are abused and die. Women are abused and die. And like, I mean, even hell is like, it's a prostitute going to hell because she was abused by clients. Like, why is it always dead prostitutes? (laughs) Like, it's just... Well, it's calling out the... He's using that because it's of an environment that he was in. And yeah, I mean, okay, but, like, does it have to be, like, half the album about being about dying prostitutes? Like, it's Who else just... is writing music about dying prostitutes, though? I think that's where he's coming from well, here. Well, he's overcompensating. <laughs> because <But> it's... <laughs> I, I, I understand that you don't like this album. Uh, I defend it because it is the laying the groundwork for the rest of their careers. And I think Martin has amazing lyrics. Even on this album, I mean, I think Hell is a pretty good song. I, I I deeply love the song War, because I think that is, like, just putting a complete bullet point on everything that's wrong with war mentality. Yeah, I, I can see it. Like, I'll, I'll give you that one. I, I don't love the lyrics, but, like, I do think that in the context of the music being the sort of, you know, World War II, pre-World War II era, like... We're off. Let's a long way to Tipperary. Hey ho, let's let's go fight the glorious battle, and then and but then like setting it to that kind of music, but then being like actually it's all just like horrible, you know. All war is a crime, basically. Yeah, and and that's kind of what he's setting up. That's that's, that's kind of the mind frame, and that's why I led with the fact that he was a theology and philosophy student before he left college and just went nuts and wrote made a band. I don't think he went nuts. I think that just like that worldview fractured, and he needed some way to make this make sense, and that sort of came out in the music that he's writing, and like that takes you in a really dark place. I brought up naturalism. 
as a, as a way to talk about this because he is very in keen on like zeroing in on the aspects of decay and being fallen and what that is a, a construct of society. And so there's a lot of complexity here that if you're not interested in that kind of music or that kind of like storytelling or like being aware of that worldview, it's not going to appeal to you and it's not going to be comfortable to listen to. And I mean, and for me, it's also not comfortable to listen to. I mean, I usually am fine with this album. I was listening to it earlier and was like, okay, I get it. And like, I, I got exactly why Natalie was upset and I completely apologize. And that's why I've been well, apologizing no, I mean, this whole episode. A, it's an alternative album from the 90s. We got to talk about it. But like, I, it's just, I mean, this is a band I just don't want to listen to. Like, And they're one of my favorite bands, which is... Uh, uh, yeah, I... I it, it just, for me, like, I know everything's terrible. And, like, I don't need to be told over and over. And I don't think that art that just repeatedly makes the point everything is terrible is, like, interesting. That's, that, Except that's, for White House. I mean, that's... And that's the a, White House is my big contra contradiction on that stuff. <laughs> like, that's it's the same thing with them. They're fucking miserable and unlistenable, and I like it. And that's okay. You just give me my, my, my little tiger lilies... Because I, I try not to force Tiger Lilies on people unless it's the song Jin, because the song Jin is a masterpiece. And uh, yeah, I mean, Jin is, Jin is funny, but it, it's Jin is like the perfect combination of miserable and funny. Like and, and it's the, actually black comedy as opposed to just black. But I felt we had to start with this album because it is their first album. And you really have to hear it to kind of appreciate where they go from here. I just this album this album was actually really hard to find on streaming for many years. Like it just wasn't available because I think they also know. Because there's not that glibness that fought, that people associate with the Tiger Lilies now just wasn't there. And I get it. It's it's a dark, broken album. They were getting gigs and just doing these shows and you drop <laughs> like you drop open your legs on somebody and people go, Oh fuck, I can't with that. <laughs> and like that's okay. Like, I mean a lot of people would find um, piss on your grave way by far the worst thing but like I guess if you're like an atheist it's funny but yeah and I also like, really love the song uh, Your Suicides which it doesn't actually have any album release which is about someone who constantly talks about they're going to commit suicide and then the the end of the song is you're 92 next year and like that's a really fucking weird headspace to inhabit but it also is grimly funny yeah, I, I don't like that song, but I it, like I do appreciate why you would like it. Um, and also another, you know, speaking of songs that aren't on this album, um, "Swing 'Em High" is like the the dark side of "Piss on Your Grave." It's like "Piss on Your Grave," but not funny. But it's Swing really high good. Is just one of their best songs of all time. <laughs> so I guess I just like their atheist song. I, I guess I like their God is a piece of shit songs. <laughs> just, yeah. Just swing him high. <laughs> and, and, and I kind of get where he's coming from. I didn't know that he'd studied theology and philosophy before this. And knowing that piece makes all of this make more sense. Because once you get that, once you pierce the veil on that shit, your mind gets fucked. And it happens to anyone who's an atheist or anywhere in between. Like you, you pierce the veil on that stuff and you go, Oh no, I have to talk to somebody about all of this. Yeah, well, it's, you know, there are several ways that you can approach religion. You can not question it, and that's how you stay religious. You can encounter the argument from evil and become an atheist, like I did. Or you can encounter the argument from evil and you're a fascist, so you're like, well, yeah, some people deserve hell. 
so or you can encounter the argument from evil and become an atheist and also then uh, construct a different religion on top of that where you're a non-theistic something uh, well yeah i mean yeah that's that's a conversation that we don't have time to get into right now <laughs> <laughs> how i feel about non-theism versus atheism but um yeah so there is good stuff later in the tiger lilies catalog i just I think this album is terrible and has almost no hint of any of the good things that would come later. I think that musically it's still pretty strong, and I think that like the, there are some tracks that you could listen to and not listen to the lyrics particularly closely and probably still enjoy. That shouldn't be a way to sell an album, but I'm going to fight for my pl- for my ranking on this one. Yeah, well, I'm not going to... I mean, yeah, like, for me, and I'm just going to say this to make a point, but, like, for me this is, like... 80 it's next to last it would i would put it above candle box on principle and but i think the pod like crushes the album. <laughs> and i think this is infinitely more listenable and i'm going to put it at 50 um oh my god that's above so much good stuff <laughs> um talk me down but it's not going to be the pod level no i uh, it's not but, i mean there's i mean there's nowhere i can feel good about putting it that's not at the very bottom um so uh, obviously i have to give up something here um i'd be willing to put it around it's, it's 60 <sighs> 61 to because i feel tonally the devil like the Devil's Briss and Birth, Marriages, and Deaths inhabit a same, similar worldview of just being grimly fucked up. Um, okay, so I can see, like, I I don't want it to be right next to the Devil's Briss, because that's too much of a kind to just stick them next to each other. Um, I think there are, like, a good arguments for this going above New Wave by the auteurs. Um, it's, Absolutely. It's more of a I mean, it's a much more original idea than that. Um, I would be okay with putting it above Lovey because there are other Lemonheads albums that are better. I'd be okay with putting it above Serpentine Gallery because that's such a by-the-numbers goth album, even though it's it's good. I'd be okay with it above Exile because I, I don't think that's a particularly great Gary Newman album. Um, I'd be okay above Dandy's Rule OK because like half that album was boring. I think that's as high as I would want to go, though, because I think Vision Thing is, like, a much better dark album than this. And that that's fine. I, I shot for the moon at 50 because I knew I wasn't <laughs> getting above 50. So I can't put this above The Cure and Sanitan. That's fine. Like, that's the real sticking point. No, that, that, no, that's a reasonable argument. Like it, it's not just a personal stake. I, I think this album has a lot of worth and origina- and creativity that lays down an entire career that they're still going strong. Like, I mean... Martin just turned 62 and they're still touring and still putting out music. Like they're not going to stop. And I have a, I have a real place in my heart for bands that just don't stop. And so I think it's a good, I think that's a good place for it. Just below vision thing. Okay. And yeah. And other Tiger Lily's albums will go higher than that because there are some where I like some stuff on them too. (laughs) I, I completely (laughs) forgot. I, I was thinking about how much I loved war and hell. And didn't... These are songs, not the actual things. Um, <laughs> you just reminded me of that Superman cartoon that we had at the Game Exchange I worked at on Superman versus Nature and War. 
But yeah, uh, I, I liked those songs so much that I completely forgot what a slog this album is. And that's why I'm apologetic. And I have a I am desensitized to some level of this in the other media that I consume. Because I read decadent literature all the time, and these songs are nothing. To a, a man who is on his deathbed with a weird creaking statue of a woman in his bedroom and he dies and his best friend's like what the fuck's happening and then the statue explodes because it was a woman cast in metal who was being punished for running away with the man who was on his deathbed and like you know i deal in i deal in a headspace it's constantly a little bit fucked so <laughs> all right let me add that to the list start a fire start a fire start a fire today <laughs> start a fire for oxford commas all right, so we're going to um, take a look at the top ten. Speaking of darkness, Plague Mass by Demanda Gallus is still at number ten. Um, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement is at number nine. Number eight is Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number seven is Spooky by Lush. Number six, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number five, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number four, 69 Love Songs by The Magnetic Fields. Number three, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two is Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number one is Nonsuch by XTC. If you want to see our complete ra- complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And you can also go on Spotify and search for nr1990s to find both of our playlists containing everything we've ever ranked, as well as every episode of the podcast. But we also always like it more if you just subscribe to us, which you should be able to do through anywhere that you find podcasts. So we're going to be back next week with two more albums. So which uh, album are you that will not make me want to die are you going to bring next week? It's just a little album. I don't know if you've heard of it, and I don't know where we're going to rank it. <laughs> it's Promenade by The Divine Comedy. I mean, I know you're joking, but it's going to go in one of two places. Oh, yeah, I, I know, know. Because I love that album so much. Bitch, I know where it's going, but I'm going to say, <laughs> I don't know where it's going. What are you putting? I'm bringing, I'm going to continue, even though I think like funk rock is probably the right answer to what would have been if not for grunge. I'm going to bring another possible um another candidate for what might have been which is uh rave rock so i'm going with um the globe but big audio dynamite too the first cd i ever bought wow first cd i ever bought was the boys are called greatest hits i got that album and a cd player for christmas that year nice so so technically i didn't buy it it was the first cd i ever got yeah no the first album i ever bought genuinely was the boys are called greatest hits because i wanted don't fear the reaper and godzilla all right well it's time for me to go listen to the leafs lose um so start a fire start a fire start a fire today get on it toronto